0: Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. We're going to skip just a little bit in verses 13 to 35 to the disciples. They go for a wonder to Emmaus and they meet a man who explains about the crucifixion, how it had to happen, and then that guy reveals to them that he is, in fact, Jesus. So we'll pick up as those guys realize this and sprint back to tell the others. Here's verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I, myself. Touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while I still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. If anyone's thinking, what is that? That's a traditional Easter greeting that, um, that someone, who was it? it? might have been Maddie, said that first time she went to church and they saw people. she saw people do that, she thought, what cult have I wandered into? Who knows these secret words? He is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thanks, friends. A bit traditional for us, but I like it. It was all part of the plan. The story of Easter Sunday is a story where the disciples didn't quite get what was going on, couldn't grasp the enormity of what was happening, couldn't quite believe that their friend and master was really risen from that brutal death of Good Friday. But, I mean, can we blame them? How easy is it to say, pfft. Those guys, they were so slow on the uptake. As if we would have been there straight away going, oh yeah, definitely was dead, now alive, great. Uh, God's relationship with humanity, restored. Angels, hi guys, how's it going? Um, Massive theological significance, let's get preaching. I suspect, I suspect in their shoes, we might also have found ourselves going, "Uh, really? What? And I love how human, how... Confused, how stuttering, how bumbling the disciples are, because that is exactly how real people act. This story is so much more credible, so much more real, because I can see that response in the disciple and go, yeah. That first Easter Sunday morning was exciting. Bewildering and still mixed with pain, but exciting. Jesus' death somehow hadn't been the end of the story. And as Jesus' friends and followers piece together what's going on, the awe and the creeping hope, oh, it must have been wonderful. But it was all part of the plan. And as Maddie said in her lovely reflection on Good Friday, which I think you can catch again online soon, God was so gentle with Jesus' overwhelmed friends. When the two angels in the tomb greeted Mary, Joanna, and the other Mary, and the others who had gone to complete Jesus' burial, funeral stuff in hand— these angels met them and spelled out the news to them step by step to make sure they got it. We're going to pick up in verse 5. If Oh, thanks, Ben. What a nice guy. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the two men, their angels, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So the angels say in verse 5, why do you look for the living among the dead? You're looking for Jesus, right? He's not dead. He's in the other category, the living category. Yeah? No? Is that? Okay, well, fine. He's not here. He has risen. That do you any better? Is that helping? Okay, not in the lifeless. Hmm. Ah, great. No, yeah, Jesus here? No, Jesus there. I mean, that's, that's big news if your friend is announced to be back. That's huge. But it's bigger news if he's not just your friend, but you hoped that he might be God's savior. If he's that as well and he's back, huh, now we're talking. We didn't read a little bit of the the story of the road to Emmaus, but in verse 24, the two gents walking on that path said, yeah, Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, that is to restore God's people. But if Jesus is back, does that mean that God's Messiah mission, the Savior plan is back on? Well, it's better than that. God's plan wasn't back on track as if it's gone wrong and been rescued. The angels give the women two other bits of news. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. So this isn't new. This was always part of the plan all along. This is something that Jesus pre-warned them about. And then the angels say, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I mean... You're there, funeral stuff in hand. You've come to rub spices on a body as a final act of respect. How much chance do you have of taking this in? If your friend is risen from the dead, that's astonishing. If your leader, if God's Messiah is back, if your hope for that is alive, Even if the ladies understood what they were hearing and were able to take it in, then relaying that back to the rest of Jesus' followers back at base without an empty tomb and two glowing messengers to back you up, most of the other guys there just dismiss, wouldn't that be nice, ladies, but he's gone. You're going to have to come to terms with it at some point. Credit for Peter, though, giving it a shot and going and finding out for himself. Luke tells us that journey of how the news begins to spread and how it's not believed, and what's going. Then he cuts, as I say, to the road of Emmaus. The two gents have a conversation with a stranger that turns into an encounter. Hang on a sec. That's was that Jesus in disguise? Oh, what? Run. And they sprint back to Jerusalem and share that we Guys, I, I don't know how to explain this, but we just met Jesus. And whilst they are mid-explanation, it's true. Jesus is risen. We've seen him. Jesus himself appears standing amongst them. <laughs> At this point in my sermon prep, I stopped writing for a minute. And I asked Jesus if he would be up for interrupting us by showing up physically in the middle of the sermon. Like, what do you think, Lord? How about like a bodily vision? That'd be great. And uh, I had a sense from the Lord, a gentle chuckling, no. (laughs) Which meant I had to keep writing. But gosh, what would it be like for Jesus to, to just, you know, bodily, physically be like, hi, wouldn't that be great? I mean, part of me longs for an experience of God that is that tangible. And Lord, you can finish the preach if you like. But the disciples weren't having a celebratory, two celebratory worship services. (laughs) They were sat in their grief, hearing confusing stories from their friends who, it sounded like they've gone mad with grief, saying they've met Jesus, but sort of in disguise or something. And then Jesus appears. First, they freak out. He gently shows them it's really him, really risen, and then he explains, this was all part of the plan. He said to them, this is what I told you whilst I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Man, I would have loved to have been in that preach. Wouldn't that be great? Jesus himself walking you through the Old Testament law, the Psalms. This, that was me. This, that's me as well. I love that. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer. Jesus said the Messiah will suffer. I mean, that's in itself, that's huge. That breaks every expectation of the conquering hero. No, the Messiah will suffer. And rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It was all part of the plan. Here is the plan. Jesus' death was no accident. It was no derailing of God's plan, but it was the key point of it. The Savior, the Messiah, that God had promised to his people right from the beginning and that God had planned before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the earth, wasn't going to lead an army, triumphant in battle, but was going to take their brokenness, take their rebellion against God and remove it from them, put it onto God himself and kill it. The plan was to take sin and for God to kill it by dying himself. Isaiah wrote about God's Savior 700 years before Jesus was born. It was our weakness, or weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You know when a child has, has half eaten something or other and decides they don't want it anymore and is making a mess, and the parent says, I'll take that. Or maybe there's a grown-up child who has got themselves into some serious money difficulties and the parent who's able to help says, it's okay, I'll cover that. Don't worry about it. This is that. This is that heart, but bigger than anything we could wrap our minds around. Jesus' death was God giving us a way to deal with our rejection of him, our rebellion against him our self-destructive choices and inclinations, our pride, our idolatry, our treating him and each other and his creation like muck, all of which, in God's law for creation, deserves death. I'll take that. I've got it covered. Which means that instead then of our relationship with God being forever ripped apart or instead of us coming back to God with our faces buried in shame, instead of facing death for our rebellion and sin, God says, nope, it's been dealt with, it's over now. What sin? My precious child, you, my precious child, come here. It's good to see you. That was his heart for us. That's why I'll take that. And when Jesus died, it was God the Son himself, the perfect sinless sacrifice, taking the place that my sins, our sins, deserved. And so when Jesus rose again, he was bringing in and demonstrating at the same time the new life that God also offers us, a new life that starts right now. The moment any of us say, actually, God that deal sounds good, can I, can we, is that the, the sin thing, can you take that, are we going to be okay, is that, even as stuttering as that, yes God, I want it, take my sin and shame and let me start again with you, anytime one of us says that, we get that new life that started on that first Easter Sunday, and that goes on forever and ever with God and the new heavens and new earth. The God who lovingly made us has removed any block that stood between God and us. The love God has always had for you is yours again. You get to hang out with him. You get to spend time with him that isn't characterized by us approaching him with guilt and shame and having to say all of our I'm sorry's before we get to hang out. Come here, my child. I love you. So good to see you. Yeah, let's talk. What what should we talk about today? Oh, can I show you this? I'd love to show you this. I reckon, do you know when a child has a new toy? Or when Jim has a new toy? I wants to be like, have you seen this? I just just think God's got a bit of streak of that in him. I think I get it from him. Obviously. (laughs) Alongside many other good, no. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's enough of God's heart that goes, hey, can I show you this? Let me show you this thing here in scripture. You may have never seen this before. This is for you. And he wants it that we can walk into him, not like this, but going. Not only do we get that welcome in God, but we can get to know the one our soul was designed by and designed to be fulfilled by. We can even learn to carry his kingdom with us in this broken world and show his love and his healing power to those around us. That is news worth a chocolate egg or two, isn't it? I think so, I think it's brilliant. The writer of the book of Hebrews, who borrows a metaphor from how worship was carried out in the Jerusalem temple, put it this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, that's where God is, because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, he's looking after us, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Which means, it was all part of the plan. And it was better news than those shell-shocked friends of Jesus could ever have hoped for. It wasn't, Jesus has come to overthrow the government. It was, Jesus has brought in God's kingdom even in the middle of this hurting world. He told them, this is what's written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The plan is anyone who wants to turn to God, which is what the word repentance means, can be completely forgiven of all our sins because of Jesus, and that is for all people. All people. And also, because Jesus didn't die a second time, you know there were some other resurrections in the Bible? I went and had a look at them. Some of them are pretty fun. Check out the one where Elisha's body resurrects someone. That's brilliant. So, you you bury your friend. Your friend is resurrected in a miracle. Wow, that's amazing. You've got a second funeral to pay for. Not so with Jesus. Jesus... It's not has risen. Jesus is risen. We're still talking to Him today. It's the same Jesus. It's the same conversation partner who was raised from the one death he had and is alive. Nothing can separate us from God's love, whilst that Jesus is the one to whom we talk and who loves us this much. So our invitation is twofold today. Firstly, if you haven't already. Or, if it's been a while, an invitation to accept God's offer, like Jesus' friends that morning, to be able to find ourselves face-to-face with God again, despite everything that we think might disqualify us. We can give our sin to Jesus and leave it with him and look into his loving face. And secondly, we're invited to be part of God's plan of sharing this offer of repentance for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus to all nations, anyone and everyone and everyone and everyone. Or to put it another way, I think God invites us to be friends with the living, risen Jesus and help other people become friends with the living, risen Jesus. That first Easter Sunday, Jesus' friends got him back they got to see their wonderful friend and they got the joy of seeing him again and spending time with him. And although our experience of spending time with him is a bit less physical, on Easter Sunday, we were gifted that relationship with Jesus too. Still, in 2022, he is risen. Hallelujah. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we, can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's, let's, Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him and discover and delight in the smile that he has for you this Easter Sunday. Amen. Let's pray. And this time I'm going to invite you to stay in your seats because we're going to do things differently. Let's pray. It's not too late, Lord, if you want to show up. That would be really good. No? Okay. Yeah, but jokes aside, Lord Jesus, we would love to see you. And so for any of us who are sat thinking, "Mm, I don't really know God, I don't really have that relationship, then, Lord, would you meet us right now? Lovingly, powerfully, would you be nudging hearts? Come and say, here I am, I would love to know you. For those of us for whom it's been a while or there's been stuff that has come up that's been difficult, this Easter Sunday, would you bring your loving, living, risen power into that stuff? And again, show us, not just in cheap words, but in truth, how much you love us, please, Lord Jesus. And for all of us, would you give us a delight in introducing people to you? In all ways, we pray, come Holy Spirit of God and fill us and have your way amongst us. In Jesus' powerful and beautiful name, amen.